What is up, guys, and welcome back to the Sweat It Out podcast. If you want to be successful, look inside. We don't like sitting in the discomfort. Then all of a sudden that day came when I got 20 bucks and two free drinks to do a show, and I was like, oh, shit, here we go, baby. You know? <laughs> Thank God she hasn't caught a chicken yet. <laughs> Don't be soft. That patience is key. If all my friends are winning, then it's going to make me want to win more. What is up, guys, and welcome back to the Sweat It Out podcast. Today we have a very special guest. He's an award-winning producer, NYT best-selling author of Live Free, Exceed Your Highest Expectations, and a tremendous motivational speaker. Guys, Please help us welcome the one and only Devon Franklin. What's up, brother? <laughs> What's going on? How you doing? We're doing great, man. How about you? I'm doing great. Can't complain. That's awesome to hear, man. Where are you located? Right now, I'm in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Oh. Uh, pre-production on my next movie. So I'm out I'm here you know, trying to get it together. There you go. The that, heat. That's why the camera's that so That desert crispy. heat. i I had to mention it (laughs) so uh brother tell us a little bit about um you know especially you being a producer and everything obviously speaker in your book you know talk to us a little bit about how you even started your journey you know how did you get to these amazing milestones in your life i i think that you know we can all say that you know it's not easy Got that right. There's nothing easy about it. Um, but the path that is uh, the most rewarding usually isn't easy. That's right. Oh, you know, I started, um, I'm from Oakland, California. I'm the middle child of three boys. And, you know, I really always loved entertainment, you know. And when my father died uh, when I was nine years old, he died of a heart attack when he was 36. Sorry to hear and, that. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And it was so uh, devastating. And uh, it was a combination of going to church and, and uh, watching movies and TV shows that were, was like therapy for me. And uh, I was so inspired by what I saw, like movies like Back to the Future and, um, you know, the Rocky franchise and movies like The Color Purple that I said, I got to go to Hollywood. You know, I just felt so inspired by what I saw. And, um, you know, when I got to Hollywood, you know, I, I, I majored in business and minored in film at USC. I got an internship that freshman year and I interned for the company that managed Will Smith. And, um, you know, that was like the way that I got my foot in the door. And I, you know, just started working my way up, intern to assistant, assistant to junior executive, executive, uh, you know, ultimately at Columbia Pictures, worked on everything from Pursuit of Happiness to uh, Heaven is for Real. And then that gave me the opportunity to branch out on my own now, run my own company. So it's really been a journey of just trying to find my place in the world, trying to find my passion and trying to help as many as I can along the way. And how, how do you balance that, that lifestyle in Hollywood? I mean, it tends to get a bad rap because, I mean, we're obviously talking about the fringe of, of higher society, right, in terms of wealth and, and celebrity and all that. How do you balance, you know, being on the, on the backside of that, not necessarily in front of the camera all the time, but, you know, being in, in that industry where it is very, you know, aesthetically driven, it's very appearance driven, it's very, you know, um, cutthroat to say the least, right? And how do you balance that and, and still hold true to who you are, right? Because, I mean, obviously, I mean, we've been talking for five minutes now, and I can already tell, you know, how, how tremendous of an individual yeah. you are. Oh, wow. Thank you. You know, honestly, Hollywood is a place for the maverick. 
That's a good so, way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever, whatever your passion or conviction is, it can be like, you know, I, I, if you, if your conviction be like, Hey, I, I wear two left shoes. That's just what I do. And that's what I need to do to create. And whatever your thing is, it's almost like if you own that and you work that to success, Hollywood says fine. Okay, great. You know, you got purple hair. Okay, great. You got tattoos. Okay. Whatever. Like Hollywood honestly is a place that is far more accepting uh, than some other circles that I've actually had access to. So, you know, this business in terms of being who I am, the fact that I've owned who I am and own my faith, that has actually helped propel my success because of, of that idea of like, well, okay, if you, if you're good about good with who you are and you're comfortable with it, then okay, great, fine, cool. We'll be comfortable with it. It's that kind of place. And so it has not been a place that I've had to compromise my thoughts or beliefs and, or anything, if anything, the more that I've held to them and that I've found a way to leverage them, that has actually led to, to more success and more opportunity in the business. So Devon, what, what were some of the things you did to really find who you were through this journey? Like what were some of the tools or some of the steps you had to take to really uncover and unravel that um, to be able to create who you are today? Yeah, you, you know, being crazy, uh, you know, it's like it starts there. Um, just deciding that first of all, I want to go to Hollywood you know, that's crazy. It's crazy because it's a very competitive industry. It's very hard to get in. I had no family in the business. I still don't. Uh, no connections, nothing. So first and foremost, I just had to be crazy to believe that it was true. And then I had to put myself in the environment, this environment of Hollywood to get confirmation. Am I good at this? What, what's the feedback that I get? And so so as I've been, as I did, especially in those initial years, I got a lot of that confirmation, a lot of that feedback that this is what I was supposed to do. And, and I can tell you, as I've navigated this business, uh, the thing that I've had to do to become me is to always uh, take risks, you know, uh, to not be afraid. Um, you know, one of the biggest risks that I took initially was quitting my job. You know, I used to, I was an assistant at Will Smith's company and I talk about this actually in my first book. I quit after two years because there was no room for growth. I didn't have a job. I didn't know what was going to happen next, but I believed that I, there was more for me. And luck in a very blessed way that led to, you know, my first executive job, which put me on the path that I'm on now. So I make a habit out of being crazy, living by faith, taking risks, stepping out. I mean, I've been running my production company now for five years. You know, I didn't thank you. I didn't have to leave, you know, Sony pictures. I, I left because I felt like it was time to step out. So it's really, I've learned a lot about myself and it all comes through just a commitment to finding my place in the world and not really caring what people think along the way. <laughs> and, and it's tough, right? It's, it's real tough to, to hold on to those values that make you who you are while you're taking such big risks, right? Moving across the country, moving to a place like, you know, like where we're at in Miami or where you're at in LA and, and being able to put yourself out there for who you are and not really giving a fuck about what people think. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's tough to, to hold true to those values and take those risks, right? Like how, how were you able to kind of mentally deal with that, you know, as you're, you know, building and, and growing through the ranks of Hollywood? Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I did it. I learned a lot of, in the process of dealing with people and, and like, you know, when I first came into business, I didn't know enough to no one. I just was like, all right, this is who I am. I got these dreams, you know, 
you know, I'm, uh, I'm from the church. I love the church, you know. And I mean, literally, the first internship interview, I'm telling them, hey, I, I don't work on the Sabbath. I'm like, from Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown, I don't work. So if you need me to take this internship, I will not work on this day. And they were kind of like, oh, whoa, okay. And they were like, all right. And then every job I would take, you know, I say, hey, I don't work on the Sabbath. So I just was like, I don't know. I was like, this is just, this is who I am. This is my belief system. And I didn't know enough to even think that anything else was possible other than my truth, me being true. I didn't know if they were going to accept it. I had no idea. But the more that I got into business, what I noticed was people will accept your convictions as long as the work you do is good. So as people, as I started to work for people, whether it was as an intern or an assistant or a junior executive, as I started to work for people, people said, oh, you know, his work is really good. Oh, okay. So, you know, he's, re he's religious. He has faith. Oh, okay. He doesn't work on the Sabbath. Okay. We'll deal with that because the work is good. You know, if, if I had not practiced uh, excellence and practiced service and really wanted to learn the business, I mean, I, I've always been organically passionate about the business. Me coming into Hollywood had nothing to do with fame, fortune, none of it. It had to do with, oh, I love this business. I love movies. I, I want to be a part of the process. You know, growing up, I love Universal Studios. I, I love how the, I love it all. I mean, here I am in Albuquerque, New Mexico, I'm in pre-production on my next film. And I'm like, wow, I just love the process. And so that passion um, was really the guide. And I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't calculate too much about me and my beliefs or any of that. I just did it. I just moved in that direction. It's, it's really, it, well, actually it goes to show the amazing part of you being real with yourself and pouring into yourself. And I think that's yeah. also part of why you do so well in your work because you pour in yourself and you're real yeah. with who you are. And I think that a lot of times that when we go out of our way to crush a lot of the things that we enjoy or love or are part of us to just do something else because we're working in something else or want to work with somebody else. And now we give up those things. Your work becomes crappy. Because now you're not the best version of you. And when you're not the best version of you, you can't be the best version for your work, for your family, for your friends and everything else. And I think it goes to show, goes to also, you know, see why you're so successful in doing the amazing things you're doing because you pour into yourself first and you hold your values and your belief system strongly. Well, well, no, I received that. And thank you. You know, I think, I think holding on to who we are in our belief system, it's, it's the container. So right now, you know, drinking some, some, Drink. I don't know. Not to say the brand. I don't know <laughs> what brand you, you got deals with, but anyway, I'm drinking. I don't know, but if they want to sponsor us, they can. Go ahead. If Gatorade wants to throw some, some ad money our way, we're not going to be hating. So, but here's the reality, right? In order for, for Gatorade to be able to be consumable in a mass way, there has to be a container. Period. If there's no container, I, it, it, I can't consume it. So our belief system becomes a container that helps us be consumable from a career standpoint. And a lot of times we feel in order to go higher, we have to compromise. So what happens is the container becomes less strong. The, the weaker the container, the less capacity we have to hold whatever it is we're, we're aspiring to achieve. So we, you, we could, I could compromise myself more and maybe 
achieve even more success at this at this particular age. However, I won't be able to sustain it because that 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 that's the the, the container of belief would be weak. So this is why I do believe, like no matter what your belief system is, and, and no matter who you are, we got to fight for that because that's the container that allows us to hold whatever it is we're aspiring to 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 achieve. So Devon. How is it that you get that message across when you are working with people? How do you portray that message of this is who I am, that this is what I do, and, you know, this is how I operate. I'm going to deliver and give you guys my best work, but I just need you to know that these, this is the way I do things. How do, you, how do you put that message out and bring it across to somebody you're going to partner up with or your company or when you were working with people, when you work with people? Because I think there's a lot of people out there that maybe, too, they just don't know how to properly message that message out to somebody so that way they can get what they want as well. You know, so much of it has to do with um, less talk and, and more action. It has to do with just, you know, how I'm interacting with people, how I'm dealing with people, how I'm communicating with others, um, you know, really living and, and, and exuding what it is I, I talk about. So, uh, so much of it just has to do with me and my disposition and, and making sure that because sometimes people can say a lot and they can, it's very easy to talk. Sometimes it's harder to allow what you say you believe in or what you say you're about to be represented in the work. And, and also, so like from a producing standpoint, you know, because I'm passionate about inspiration, you know, those are the projects that I tend to gravitate towards. And those are the projects that tend to get made. So a lot of times, once you have a reputation and you have a, 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 a I wouldn't say a brand, but you know, you have an awareness of what you're about then people start to, to bring you more of that. And then people start to associate you with that. So it, it's almost like even before I step in a room, there's already an awareness of who I am, what I'm about. And in some ways that's very helpful, but then other ways I got to go in and, 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 and reframe it because some people think, Oh, you know, Oh, they have this misconception of who I am. And then that could limit how they think I, what I can do. So I don't let that hinder me, but I, sometimes I'm aware, Oh, you're thinking that, what you read about me in Google, that's who I am. Let me help you understand who I am. So every situation is different, but it's really about living it, not so much always talking about it. Love that. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, you mentioned awareness, you mentioned having that conviction, right? But having an understanding of those two things is one, is one area, you know, that you need to, you need to pay attention to putting into action is a whole nother thing. Right. And, and you mentioned earlier, you know, working for Will Smith's production company early in your career. And I mean, f for anyone who's listening to this, I'm sure they're thinking, wow, like what an opportunity, how could you ever leave that? You know? And, and I think I have some friends that work in finance and they work for JP Morgan or whoever, and they're saying the same thing kind of right now as they want to transition. Going, how can I leave this opportunity? Right. Working for this, you know, such an influential company. How were you able to take yourself through that and finally, you know, believe in yourself enough to make that jump and leave, you know, Will's production company, you know, which is obviously, you know, a monolith in wow. itself. It's such a very prominent actor and, and someone who's been so influential in your industry. How do you get ready and how do you prepare yourself to be like, okay, you know, I got this. I can take care of this. I can take care of myself. I can move the needle in my own life without having, you know, for lack of a better term, this crutch of someone else's you know, name to, to, to help me get to where I want to go. And, you know, you've obviously done such a tremendous job with that since then. So I'd love to pick your brain on that. Yeah. Uh, it's a great question. You know, it, it really, uh, when I go back to those early days and you know, what, what was the catalyst for me, you know, stepping out on my own, 
Um, I'll tell you that, but I want to tell you the irony of the situation. So when I left um, being the assistant, I was, an, I was an intern for his management company and then his production company while I was in college. When I graduated, I became an assistant at his company working for his producing partner. And I was an assistant for two years. So for about six years, I was, you know, somewhere in, you know, Will's, you know, orbit in terms of as an intern or an assistant. So when I, when I quit, I knew that there was no more room for growth. I go, uh, I got a job as a development executive for another producer uh, and then MGM at the time they were making uh, right after the success of barbershop, they were looking for an executive. I got hired as a junior executive. I worked on be cool and I worked on Love uh, that beauty. Uh, thank you. Yeah, that was, that was of, a lot of fun. Yeah, one of my yeah, one of my favorite movies. So good. So many, yeah, so, so many characters in that movie. Right, Cedric and Harvey Keitel and Andre 3000, Christina Milian, Uma Thurman. It was just such a fun movie. And so, six months into being at, while we were in production on on Be Cool, the company was put on the selling block, and uh, MGM got sold to Sony Pictures Entertainment. Mm. And as part of that transaction, two executives made uh, the the leap to becoming executives for Sony. And that was myself, which as a junior executive, and then a senior executive, her name is Elizabeth Cantillon. When we get to Sony, here's the irony. Sony funded Will's company. So the first movie I worked on as an executive was Pursuit of Happiness. So they had nothing to do, he had nothing to do with me getting there, but then the irony was that I was put in a position on the inside to be able to help. So I worked on Pursuit of Happiness and Seven Pounds and Hancock and, and uh, the Karate Kid remake and After Ooh, Earth. Oof. You know, all of these movies I was working Bangers. on as an executive. But here's the irony. The irony is that what got me to do it is I had to believe in me. I had to be- look in the mirror and believe that one, the same God that made Will is the same God that made me. So if I treat Will as my God, you're right. I, I, there's no way I can't leave. There's no way I can leave. But like, no, when I look at the mirror, I'm like, no, he has given me what I needed to get started. Now I got to go out there and figure out who I am and see if I can make it on my own. It's like literally people, you know, when kids leave the house, it's like, all right, hey, you know, you got the foundation. Now you got to see if you can fly. So I had to believe in me. And that's why I, I ultimately left because I said, you know, I, I got to find out who I am. I got to find out what I'm about. And the irony is that in doing it, it puts me back in a relationship, you know, with him and his company at that time, but in a much stronger position because I didn't get the job because they put in the word. I got the job because I got the job because of my own merit and my own, my own work. So I would say to anybody, um, don't treat your, your job as your God. It's, I'm not saying, you know, quit your job today if that's not, if you don't feel compelled. What I say in this book, I talk about uh, a, a cost-benefit analysis. How do you know if it's time to quit? you got to do a cost-benefit analysis. What is that analysis? If the benefit of being at the job is greater than what it's costing you emotionally, professionally, spiritually, uh, financially, then you stay. Even if you, Even if you know it's not the job for you forever, as long as there's a benefit to it, you stay. But the moment that it starts to cost you more, emotionally, spiritually, financially, physically, you're not growing, you're frustrated, you've hit, a, you've hit the, the glass ceiling, then I argue that's when you know it's time to leave. And if you are who you believe you are, you're going to be all right. There are billions of companies in this world. You know, like, th- th- that's how companies win. 
they, they, they subtly want to get you to believe this is the only opportunity. Mm. And it's not. Because in a world of scarcity, okay, I got to hold on to this. It's killing me. I don't care. There's nothing else out there. It's not true. It's not true. So I had to go for myself and discover what my truth was. Mm. And I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today if I hadn't. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we've both kind of gone on, on a similar path. We work for, you know, one of the biggest fit fitness companies in the world and Equinox and, you know, for every good thing that they did for us, one of the things that, you know, they definitely hindered, I feel like our progress in our personal lives and in our personal businesses was just that, right? Like, you're not going to find another job that's better than this. You're not going to find a training job that pays better than this. You're not going to find a company that, you know, promotes education, even though like, if you would have had the time to take a step back, even though they were really pushing sales on it, you would have been able to look around and been like, what the fuck? Like, this is not true. I wouldn't be here. You know, like this is obviously this isn't true. This company over here is like promoting education way more than you guys are. And the education's better and they pay their trainers more, or I can go out on my own and do, do it better than, than, you know, what I think that you guys are doing it. Maybe not on the scale, but you know, at least in my personal business and, uh, you know, it's not, it's not always easy to be able to take that step back when you're in the rat race. On a, on a side note, I, I do want to say, Pursuit of Happiness, one of my favorite movies of all time. And definitely, like, I, I and I've, I've talked about this on the podcast a lot, like, I come from a pretty low-income area in upstate New York, and people don't really get out and be able to, like, accomplish their goals and do what they really do. They, they unfortunately settle a lot of the time, right, into what feels comfortable and what their parents have done. And, you know, when I was kind of going through high school, that's when Pursuit of Happiness came out, and, you know, it really, really opened my eyes to, like, man, like, you know, shit might really suck in your life and you might really be down in the dumps. But if you, if you grind, if you work hard, if you find the right opportunity and you take advantage of that opportunity, more importantly, you know, sky's the limit for what you're right. able to do. Cause it is just about getting in front of that one person that's going to give you that one opportunity. And if you, you know, to your point about what you you were talking about earlier with yourself, like staying true to who you are and your values and your belief system and working hard through that belief system, yes. you know, anything, anything can be accomplished. Totally. Anything can be accomplished. And I, I love, I, it's, it's so fascinating when you talk about being in high school, you know, when the movie came out and, and how that, you know, shaped your thought process and what oh, was so possible. much, man. And, but that's, that's the beauty of film. That's the beauty of entertainment. It does have that, in, in, that ability. And, uh, and, and because of that ability is why I, I love it so much. So Devon, the same way that you operate for your life, is this something that you instill as a culture in your company um, in, in what you do with your team? Yes, yes, it, it certainly is. You know, I mean, I try to live by uh, uh, and, and lead by everything that I write about and everything that I talk about, um, you know, and I'm always uh, pushing my team um, to, to like, you know, hey, I'm out here pushing myself every day to become better, to do better, to, to expand, like, and I'm pushing the team, come on. You know, like, it's like every day, I, it's like getting on the basketball court. And with my team, I want to like, all right, let me know who I'm playing with today. Because because I, I because I've done this for so long, I know when someone's giving me 100% when they're not. Literally, I'm like, oh, okay. All right, you're tired today. Nothing wrong with that. Okay, cool. But I'm, I'm here to play. So I always try to lead by example. And, and the thing about running my own company is that everybody knows that, I set the standard because I, nobody works harder than me, period. Doesn't happen. So I'm like, 
people. So anytime, anytime, why that's good is because it gives me more, it gives me more credibility with them. Because if, if I'm asking them to do something, they know like, oh yeah, you know what? I'm gonna do it because Devon, I see he's working. You know, it's like, he's not By one example. of those people that's just sitting back, you know, letting everybody go work for them. And, you know, they sit back and collect the check. It's like, no, he's out here in the trenches with us. So it inspires, I think, the team to want to motive, to want to do more, to to want to get out there and become their best. Uh, and you know, and, and I think the challenge in leadership, and I certainly have, have experienced this challenge, is that what we see clearly, others see partially. And the reason why we see it clearly, that's why we're we're in, we're leading, we're we're in control, we're we're the boss because we can see certain things that others can't. And one of the biggest challenges was to understand that message because there were a lot of times when I was leading as if others could see what I see and people that work for me could see it. And then I would get frustrated that they couldn't see it. And then I realized, Oh, I have to actually slow down, communicate what I'm seeing, help train them to achieve it, not just expect that they're going to get it and then get mad when they don't. I, as a leader have to evolve and become better to let them know what I'm seeing and to say, okay, let me help you get there. And that was something that I just had to learn, you know, by bumping my head quite a bit. Well, I mean, and, and, you know, to your point about leading, you know, from example, you can do that by, by leading through your ability to show the abundance of opportunity that is out there, right. For people, whether it's inside your company or helping people grow uh, and, and eventually leave your company and find a better opportunity like you were able to do with Sony. Right. And then, and then start your own, your own production company. To that, that point, um, you know, what I know is that anyone that leaves my company, at, at, I mean, like, for example, I have a, someone that worked for me and now they're an executive uh, at, with one of the divisions of Disney. And they're excelling in that job, um, obviously, because of their own merit, yet the training at my company, I mean, anybody that works in my company, they will go on and be successful because of, of just the rigor of our process and, uh, and all the various things that we get a chance to do. And that, that kind of brings me to what I, what I want to dive into next is, is your book live free. Right. And, uh, you know, what made you want to write that book and, and what, you know, really brought that inspiration to you to say, Hey, you know, it's time to get out there and write again. You know, um, that's a great question. Um, you know, this is the fifth book that I've written and, um, you know, I never thought I would be an author. It wasn't something I was actually pursuing. It was something that was presented, an opportunity was presented while I was still an executive for Sony Pictures. And uh, on my journey as an author, you know, I, every time I just have an idea, I kind of let it settle and see if it's something I'm supposed to write more about. And this book, Live Free, is all about, you know, setting expectations for yourself. And uh, I realized, you know, years ago that I had a problem with expectations. And the problem was that my expectations were too high. And when I say by too high, they were just, man, I, I mean, they were so high, they were giving me nosebleeds. You know, I was just so frustrated. I was so upset because they weren't met very often. You know, I didn't meet my expectations. Nobody I worked with met my expectations. Nobody that worked for me met my expectations. Like, I just was in a perpetual perpetual feeling of, of just anxiety and frustration and discontent. And uh, um, one day I just said, why am I feeling this way? And I was like, it's not that things aren't things good aren't happening. They are. It's not that I don't have good relationships. I do. It's not that I don't have good people in my life. I do. The problem is, oh, my expectations. 
These unset expectations are making everything look worse than it really is. These unset expectations are making me feel not good enough, making them not work hard enough. It's like, so I said, oh, the problem, expectations, there we go. Mm -hmm. And I said, what would happen if I released expectations in some regard? And then I began to change my expectations in others. And as I started to do that, my feeling about certain things improved immediately. And that's when I knew, oh, okay, there's something here. And as people started to come to me for help and in their, in their personal life, professional life, I started seeing these through lines. Oh, it's expectations. Got it. If we could learn to set our expectations, we could then set the course for our life. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk to our clients all the time in, in the fitness industry, you know, Anthony with, with his coaches and me, you know, with general population people. And it's the same exact thing, right? Oh, I put on 30 pounds during COVID and, you know, I need to lose that 30 pounds, but I know it took seven to seven months to a year to put it on, but I need to lose it in a month. I need, you know, I have a vacation coming. I need to, it's like, listen, about you just start moving. Yeah. Like that's, that's you know, you've been sitting on the couch for seven months. Like, what do you, you're not, it's not going to take, you know, even three, four months for you to lose it. It's going to take six months. It's going to take a year. You're going to struggle. You're going to hate it. You're going to you know, really not want to get out of bed and do the things that you need to do. But I'm here to tell you today that this is how it's going to be, you know? And if like, I know for myself, like if you want to work with me, you're not going to, you're not going to get a pat on the, you're going to get a pat on the back when you do something right, for sure. hundred percent to your point, you need to praise people. But if you fuck up, you're like my, I can run my mouth. You know what I mean? I'll tell you exactly what comes out. This guy will tell you. Yeah. You know, he knows better than anybody. But I think when you set that expectation with people, right. That like, listen, you're going to get the truth from me. The truth is not always going to feel good to you. You know, this isn't always going to be a safe place for you when it comes to like, you know, your feelings and what you expect to happen. But at the end of the day, that's going to lead you to be a better person, a better professional and, and, you know, get the job done to the extent that it needs to get done. And I think the other thing too, like when, when you come to realize too, when, especially when you're working with individuals or yourself, when you start placing caps, right? When you start saying, I have to hit a million by this age, or I have to be able to achieve this goal by this month. Uh, I think, and, and we've all done it, right? But I think when you start doing that, you, you either, when you get there and you don't hit it, you drop your confidence. You could have achieved all this stuff, but you don't hit that exact number. Now your self-esteem drops. Oh, I didn't hit the million in a year. Oh, you only I got 850,000. But, but oh, look at all the success you had. Look, you're so much better than you were before. So that's a huge win. Or here's the other one. Let's say you set up a million, right? Let's say you want to hit a million here. What if, what if you could have done more? Now you capped yourself here. Maybe, maybe you, if you didn't even have, you could have probably even broke a million. Who knows? By not setting that cap, you know, and I think that's another thing that we, a lot of us set caps, a lot of people set caps or limits of like, this is where we're going to be here. This is the limit or this is the cap I got to reach by this uh, time frame. You know, what you're saying is why, why I wrote the book. I talk about this in Live Free, where I give an example from my, uh, my time as an executive at Sony, and it hits what you were saying, which is, you know, I wanted to be vice president of production by the time I was 30 years old. I turned 30. And I wasn't. And I spent my 30th birthday angry, depressed. Why? Because I didn't feel good enough. I was like, oh, man, what's wrong with me? And, you know, at 30 years old, I should have this and I should do that. And all this ridiculous stuff. And about six months into my 30th year, I got the promotion. It did nothing. It changed nothing. I didn't, it didn't, I did. And, I, and I'm like, wait, I put all this value on this title and this, I was doing this job all along. The title just memorialized what I was already doing. Yeah. You got a great business card. <laughs> yeah. And, and, 
And, and here's the crazy part about it. What, 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 what about 30 was this magical barometer of value and worth? It's like we make this stuff up. Mm-hmm. And then we, then we, then we judge ourselves incorrectly mm-hmm. and we make false assumptions about what's happening because of these crazy expectations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So instead of living in the moment, enjoying the process, you know, seeing if I'm progressing, I'm like, Oh, if I'm not vice president, then that's what this means. No, it didn't mean any of that. None of it. And I look back now and I'm like, I'm so crazy to believe and think that way. And it robbed me of a great moment. It robbed me of a great experience. So I really encourage everyone through this book to set expectations for yourself, but make sure that they're set. And when I say that they're set, it's two things that you got to find out. If, if it's within your control, it's realistic to expect. And if it's communi- if somebody, if it involves someone else and it's communicated and it's agreed to, then you can expect it. The thing about control as it relates to what we're talking about is the one thing we don't control is time. Going back to the example of, you know, your client that wants to lose a certain amount of weight in a certain period of time. The only thing that we control is the process. If we commit to the process, the rigor we put in the process increases the probability we'll get the result. But the actual result in many instances, we don't fundamentally control. Mm -hmm. And I know that's kind of a, sometimes a different way to think about things because we're all about the result. Well, there is no result without the process. That's right. And the more we enjoy the process, watch this, the less the result matters. Yep. Now, if we don't enjoy the process, then we become completely addicted to the result mm-hmm. because we need the result to feel the way we need to feel. And then you start all over but again. There you go. But if we're enjoying the process and we're finding the joy in the process and, and we're enjoying to your you know, point about your clients, if they enjoy becoming healthier, they enjoy, you know, having more energy, if they enjoy being able to think clear, clearly, then it's like, oh yeah, I lost this weight, but it, it, it became more than the weight. It was about a lifestyle that I enjoyed. But if it's only about the weight, then you're waiting to feel good. And then you hit that mark, you feel good for a minute. Now it's like, I gotta maintain it. Oh, here we go. And then the maintaining of it when you never enjoyed it becomes near impossible. You give up on your routine and then all of a sudden the weight comes back. So it's really about finding the peace, the power and the joy in the process and letting the results come from that. Yeah. And that, that age construct always gets me, you know, it's like, I'm almost 30. I look around, I'm like, man, I don't fucking know anything. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know shit compared to what I can. And nor do like most of my friends who are almost 30. I'm like, man, I look around at them. I'm like, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. But like, I'm like, I'm not 30. Like I thought I was going to, I thought I, I was just going to, you know, turn 30 and then have this massive wave of like information and knowledge. I'm like, man, I don't think that that's really how it's going to be at the end of the day. You know, I'm going to hit 30 and then that next day is going to come and be the same exact person I was. It's, it's so funny that you said that. Cause I was about to tell you was that you mentioned 30, um, yourself being such an important number in your, in, in your age to be able to get to the next level. Why do you think, especially in the male community, why do you think 30 is always that number where it's like, I have to be here by 30. I have to achieve this by 30. If I don't achieve this by 30, then what's going to happen? You know, why, why do you feel that 30 is such a prominent number when it comes to achievements in a, in a male figure's uh, career? Yeah, I mean, this is a, a very different answer, probably. Um, 
Uh, yet, you know, we live in a culture that that fundamentally is rooted in um, Christian belief, Christianity. Um, and when you look at Christianity, you know, Jesus started his ministry at 30. Okay. So there is something psychological, I believe, spiritual that, that it's like, oh, 30 marks the, the number as a man when I start to have my impact in the world. Mm. And, and so I think that we just all kind of believe and feel that, okay, you know, my twenties, I, you know, kind of played around and had fun. But when I'm 30, you know, that means I, um, I actually really got to become a man, right? I really got to start having responsibility. And then, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? There's nothing wrong, but it becomes uh, toxic and it becomes detrimental when we do what I did, when we associate these false goals with this, with this age, and then we judge ourselves based on those false goals. Mm. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with feeling like, okay, I'm turning 30 and I want to make a greater contribution to the world. I want to feel more fulfilled. I, I, I want to continue to grow. Great. Nothing wrong with that. But 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 it's like I want to have that growth and I want to have that money and I want to have that contribution at 30. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's yeah. what it becomes the problem. So somebody's mm-hmm. turning 30 real soon. I know. I feel like I'm, I'm the <laughs> old one in the group. But, you know, and I, I think – you're talking about really the cultural, you know, more spiritual side of things, even on, on an evolutionary standpoint, if you think about it this way, and I like to bring this to all my clients too, cause they're like, well, why do I feel this way? Or why do I get anxiety with this? I'm like, because your, your body did not evolve to be sitting in a desk chair talking on a zoom conference, right? Same, same thing with age, right? Like if we have like this, you know, innate subconscious pressure at 30, it's like, well, 10,000 years ago, if you were 30, you're, you're probably pretty old. You know, you were definitely someone who was relied on within the community, you know, pretty substantially to be able to, to take care of everybody, whether you were a hunter, you were a gatherer, you were, you know, the spiritual leader. Like if you made it to 30, you were, you were probably pretty wise in terms of your community back then. So there's also that evolutionary standpoint and this, that just popped in my head is like, maybe that could be part of the case along with, you know, why, why, you know, a lot of the cultural stuff comes around 30 as well. And why now we today feel like, man, if I don't get this done right away, it's like, well, because 10,000 years ago, five years from 30, probably a right. much, much, much bigger likelihood that you weren't going to be around anymore. Right, right, right. Fascinating. I never thought about it that way. Yeah, me either. I'm glad that you brought up that point that you did because it popped in my head. <laughs> it's just, it's just so crazy to see like, you know, and I and I think now more than ever, I think there is a little bit more awareness. I think there is more information. I think now it's more of about like how do we use that information properly so that way we don't continue to make the same mistakes or we don't continue thing. to follow the same path. Because I feel people know they just don't know how to apply it. Um, so what what are some of the the what are some pieces of advice you can give some to our listeners how to start applying that new way of approaching? Um, that thought process and what are some of the steps that you would say that they can take now initially to get that needle moving without feeling overwhelmed or without feeling confused? What are some basic stuff they can start doing to push that new agenda in their life? Yeah. Well, I mean, this is why I wrote, you know, live free. And this is why I wrote this book. So get the book guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Throw you that plug have- in there. It's on audible. Uh, it's on audible. Yeah. You narrate it. Did you narrate it? Yeah, oh it. yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I, you know, there's just something about an author who doesn't narrate. I'm like, I can't listen to this anymore. Oh you know? yeah, no, 
I narrated it and it was painstaking. Yeah, I, mean, I heard that's a tough, I heard narrating, narrating uh, your book is, is a Mine's really a difficult process. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's a good point. Uh, so, so the idea of live free, it fundamentally means that we are not in the physical, emotional, or mental control of anyone or anything. And that we set the expectations that we live by. And we resist the temptation to live for others' expectations of us in our life. So right now, you start the process with one deciding the life you want to live. Can you live realizing at the end of your life that you did what was expected, but you didn't do what was destined? And if you can't live with that, then now you've got to make a change. And the first change is just one, the awareness. Oh, wait, I'm not living free. I'm, I'm, I'm controlled by what happens in my life, what people say about me, what people think about me. All these things are controlling my emotional well-being. I want to stop the madness today. So now that I'm aware, I got to make the commitment. So, you know, you talk about personal training. You make the commitment and then you go through the process to walk that commitment out. Some days you're feeling like, oh man, this is great. Other days you're like, yo, I don't feel like going today. But your clients that ultimately have the greatest success are those that are consistent and hang in there. Every single make, time. Say it again. Every single time. Every single time, right? Uh, when we make this decision, when you make the decision to, to live free, every day is not going to be great because you're going to have to rearrange some things. You may have to have some tough conversations. You may have to pull back from some friend groups. You may have to unobligate yourself from some things that you had, some commitments you made. There's some days that's going to be feel great. There's other days it's going to feel not so good. But when you make that commitment and you commit to the process of becoming freer every day, you ultimately realize that the life you had now is going to be so different than the life you'll have a year from now. So it's a daily momentary process where you work on it. Am I free in this moment? Okay, what's why am I not free? Oh, because I'm worried about what's going to happen in that meeting. The meeting that hasn't happened yet, I'm worried about it. All right, well, how can I alleviate my concern? I'm prepared for the meeting. I know what's going to happen. Okay, great. So I'm, what am I worried about? Nothing. Whatever happens in the meeting, fine, but I'm ready. I'm concerned what's going to happen when I get home. You know, my, my, my partner is going to be mad at me. Why are you mad at me? Oh, because I didn't take out the trash. Well, okay. Call him. Say, hey, sorry, babe, I didn't take out the trash. My bad, I was running late. Get ahead of it. Free yourself. That's that's how you do it. You make the commitment. You have the awareness. You make the commitment, and then you work on walking it out. And I give a lot of tips and tools in the book on how to do Amazing. that every day. Oh, hundred percent. That's a that's a home run right there. That. And I I think that that would be you know maybe the best way for our listeners to 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 wrap things up with that. And and you know Devin, it's been tremendous being able to talk to you and. I'm right after this, I'm going to order that book on Amazon. I'm going to get that. I'm going to get that hard copy for sure. So I can highlight all, all the big truth bombs that you drop on that thing. I'm super excited about that. Where can people find you on social media and where can they go out and buy your book? Um, yes. You know, people can find me on social media at Devon Franklin uh, on Instagram and on Twitter at Devon Franklin official on Facebook. And uh, you can go to DevonFranklin.com. And I have all the different retailers, which you can buy the book. It's available, you know, ebook and hardcover and audible, all forms and everywhere books are sold. You can get it. That's awesome. No, I really appreciate your time, man. It's, it's, it's been such a blessing to have you on here and hear your journey. 
hear your story, how you grew as a person, how you implement that into the culture you created at your job, your, 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 your business, and how you, be, how you were able to become an author and spread this message and give the tools to other people who need this in their life to be able to start finding and carving out that pathway to be able to create success in all aspects. And I think that's amazing. Like we Thanks. like to end it on the Sweat It Out podcast. We like to burn it through a little quick burnaround of questions. So we're going to hit you with something. All right, question number one. If you don't mind, I don't know if we can, but what movie are you working on right now? Uh, yeah, it's called Flaming Hot. It's about the creation of Flaming Hot Cheetos. Oh, oh let's go! Let's yeah. go! Eva Longoria is directing it. Uh, it's the true story of Richard Montanez, who was a Mexican janitor that worked for Frito Lay. He came up with the idea of putting chili powder on a Cheeto, and uh, the rest is history. And he got promoted from being a janitor to becoming the director of multicultural marketing. And, Unbelievable! Uh, the godfather of Latino marketing. That is awesome. Yeah, he's a legend in his own right, and, and uh, I get the privilege and the pleasure of telling his story. Oh man, can't wait for that We're to come out. That. That's going to be awesome for sure. <laughs> going to go and, and see that. One hundred percent. Next question: Have you been in a movie, or do you plan on being in a movie if you haven't? <laughs> yes, I have been in a movie. A uh, movie called Woodlawn. Um, you know, I played the preacher in Woodlawn. The movie came out a couple of years ago. My good friend, the Irwin, my good friends, the Irwin brothers, direct wrote and directed it. Um, so you know, look, I'm I'm open. You know, it's not something I'm pursuing, but if the right opportunity comes around and I like it, I'll do it. Ooh, love that. Next question: What's the craziest and wildest experience you've had in your career doing what you do on set? The craziest and wildest um experience i've had on set Whew. um man you know listen when i when i worked on the karate kid i was the executive that oversaw the remake and uh we were in beijing and we shot the entire movie in beijing every single frame of that film and one day we were shooting in this like um strip mall um you know in kind of like this very popular area in beijing and as we're shooting, um, one of the store owners comes right in the middle of the shot. I mean, Jackie Chan and Jaden, they're right there. They come right in the middle of the shot and take a big umbrella, and, like one of those patio umbrellas, and puts it right in the middle of the, the shot. Has a chair and sits down in the <laughs> middle of the And, you know, all of a sudden our security got up and then other store owners came out. It was about to be a fight. But what, what, what happened was... You know, it's like the way that you navigate things, at least at that time, was where we were shooting, we took care of the store owners that were in our shot. Okay. But there were a, another level of store owners that didn't get taken care of. And so he represented those store owners. And so he said, uh-uh, if you're going to take care of everybody, if you're going to take care of them, you got to take care of us. You got to love that, though. You got you to... Gotta... Man, I mean, everybody's about to go to blows. It was kind of crazy. It was very intense. Wow. Had no idea well, how. Well, thank God it was a karate movie. So at least there's some fighting experience. Yeah, right? I mean, you gotta you gotta give it to the guy. At least he stuck to his conviction, you know, and said like, "You're gonna help out the whole community. You're gonna be giving some handouts to some people. We all need a day off of work." <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Last and final question: What is the biggest piece of advice you can leave off to all our listeners today in one single sentence? Freedom, it's yours. Go for it. Boom. Period. Ooh, powerful. 
Man. Powerful, powerful, powerful. And Devon, it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. One, one last time, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to shed some light on, on your career, on your life, and, you know, what's made you you. It's been tremendous. Yeah. Thank you for that. Appreciate oh, you. Thank you all for the opportunity, and uh, thank you for everything you're doing. All right. That's it, guys. Another episode. Man. Devon crushed it. Absolute legend. I can't believe, I mean, some of the most iconic movies of our childhood, Barbershop, Pursuit of Happiness, been an absolute pleasure getting to talk to him. Make sure you guys go follow him on social media and make sure you go to anywhere books are sold and grab his new book, Live Free.